So my name is Suzanne Vogel. I am the lead pastor of both our Meredith Drive and our Bridge campus. And we are in the midst of a series about the kingdom of God. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how the kingdom of God is peaceful and the kingdom of God is just. And this week, we were going to talk about the kingdom of God being joyful. And then we made a decision late in the week to switch last week and this week uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, we just felt like gathering together, all of us outside, celebrating communion together, that felt like a week where it should be joyful. That should be the topic, right? Um, and so we thought, well, that would fit better. But here's the real reason. So I don't know if you have heard much about what Pastor Sarah Gregory is doing on Saturday nights. She's holding a service that's meant to be a little untraditional, a little bit different. And they, last night, their topic was the kingdom of God was joyful. And they brought their pets to worship. Yeah, they brought dogs and cats. They had outdoors. It was amazing. And I'm telling you people, I can't compete with that. It just isn't going to happen. So I was like, okay, maybe we flip it up. I'll talk about the kingdom of God being mysterious. That I think I can do. And we'll give a week between, you know, the puppies and the kittens and, and outdoor worship. So that's our plan. This morning we're going to talk about the mysterious nature of the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open it with me to Mark 4, verses 26 through 29. And if you don't have your Bible, it's okay, just listen along. This is a short parable, uh, but I think it offers us a lot today. Now Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow he does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, and then the full grain. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, some of you are know I grew up around farming. My dad was a school teacher, so most of the year that was his vocation. But in the summers, uh, both I think to supplement his income, but also he would joke to keep him strong for wrangling children, he would farm. First with my grandfather for several years, and then for a couple of other men in our community. And I have lots of memories growing up on a farm. I have memories of riding in tractors on my grandfather's knee or my father's knee as we planted or as we disked the ground or as things were sprayed onto the plants. I remember walking beans and cutting out weeds. I remember detasseling in mud so deep that I lost a shoe one time. That's deep mud, people, and particularly when you're like five foot something. I'm not telling you how tall I am because it's just short. So, um, and so anyway, I have lots of memories of being out on the farm. One of the vivid memories I have uh, was probably when I was about 12, um, eh, maybe 10, and I got for the first time to help lay irrigation pipe. Now, for those of you who have not grown up on a farm, in central Nebraska, if you don't water corn, it dies. Uh, it's pretty arid out there. And so 
what they would do is we would have these big, long pipes, steel pipes, that we'd get piled onto a trailer, and then the truck would carry the trailer. And so it was my job to drive the truck that summer. Now, again, I was, you know, no, I don't think I was even five foot at that point, right? So I had to sit on the very edge of the seat, and I would, um, my only job was to push the brake and let off the brake. To push the brake and let off the brake. So uh, my dad and whoever he was helping would be in the back. They would pull off a big piece of pipe, lay it into the ground, or lay it on the ground, and then my dad would say, go, and I'd lift off the brake. And then we'd go a little bit further, and then he'd say, stop, I'd put my brake back foot back on, and, uh, and they would hook and unload the next round of pipe. Uh, big stuff when you are 10, maybe 12. But I, here's the truth, is that even now, I can close my eyes and see with my little girl eyes my grandfather and my father coming in from a day at the farm. It'd be about twilight, so late, their hands would be dirty, their clothes would be dirty, their eyes would be weary. And if you've ever wondered where my work ethic comes from, I will tell you the apple has not fallen far from the tree. My grandfather and my dad are two of the hardest working people I know. So I have to confess, when I first read this parable, uh, I was, let me see, what's the best word? I was offended. I was offended, actually, because, well, let me explain. See, as Jesus often did, he used everyday stories to try and describe something that we, we have a hard time getting our hands around, the kingdom of God. And so he begins by telling a story. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who throws his seed to the ground and walks away. He sleeps. He gets up. Days come days go. And the seed begins to sprout, even as the farmer apparently does nothing. In fact, he doesn't even appear to know why the seed is growing. In verse 28, there's this little phrase, right? The earth in and of itself produces, begins to produce the uh, growth. That word in and of itself is from a Greek word called automatos which is the root for automatically, right? And so the image there is that somehow mysteriously, automatically, without any outside interference or impetus, the seed grows day after day until finally the day arrives when the whole field is ready for harvest, apparently without a lick of effort from the farmer. Frankly, all I could think was, this is a lazy bum of a farmer. <laughs> Can I get an amen in the house from anybody who knows farming, right? And that annoyed me. I got to be honest, it annoyed me a lot. Surely the moral of the story isn't that following Jesus is about passivity and inactivity. Not today. Not in this moment in history when it feels like the very fabric of our existence is being torn apart. Not when we're facing sickeningly large political and social problems. Not when we're in the middle of a global pandemic about which we can't even agree 
on the most basic of facts or responses. In the midst of this much division and chaos, even and perhaps especially among people of faith, is Jesus advocating that we sing Hakuna Matata and take a nap? I mean, does the kingdom of God mean we do nothing? History has not been kind to passive churches who whistled while Hitler killed Jews or while Japanese Americans were interned and while slaves were lynched. Surely this could not be the result. And yet, the other ditch, which it won't shock you to find out that I more naturally fall into, is the deep hubris of imagining that by sheer force of will, I could fix it. I could control it. Right? If I just washed my hands enough, I won't get COVID. If I vote correctly, all will be well. If I lobby and march enough, life would be preserved and justice done. If I'm smart enough, if I hustle enough, if I sacrifice enough, I should be able to save the world, right? Yeah, you would be forgiven if you're not, if you're chuckling at me because it's absurd, really. And yet somehow that pressure sinks in to my soul and maybe to yours as well. And it's kind of silly because on my best days, my effort is a hot stew of good intentions and poor execution. Can I get an amen in the house? I mean, and here's, I'm, I'm going to name another reality for us. The trouble right now is that I'm not even sure what to do. I had two conversations in, recently, back to back, right? In the first conversation, I sat with someone who is really frustrated that we are wearing masks in worship. And this person said to me, Suzanne, it just feels like if only we had faith, then we could live without fear. We could gather in worship and we could, we could get back to normal. I understand that. And then I walked out of that conversation, picked up the phone and entered another conversation. This person is deeply concerned that we're meeting at all. And in fact, feels like we're endangering one another by gathering. And I kid you not, said to me, Suzanne, it just feels like if we had enough faith, we would be able to stay home and worship for a little while until all of this passes. I listen to policemen and women right now, and I realize how deeply difficult and complicated their job is. And I think I need to stand with them and support and encourage them. And then I listen to the voices of my sisters and brothers of color and the ways that they are experiencing our justice system in very different ways because the color of their skin. And I think I need to stand with them because I need to work for justice and equity in our systems. I think about how important it is to protect the lives of unborn children. And I think I should stand with the Republicans and support that. And then I think about all of the ways that people I know are trapped in poverty and unable to access health care. And I think I should stand with the Democrats. And then I listen online to people who are saying the future of the church is all online. And we need to go 
full in and do all of our ministries from that place because that is the place of the future. And I think, yes, we should do that. And then I read another blog and it says the future of the church is us gathered together and we need to get back to that and we need to get back to that right away. And I think I should do that. Is anybody else tired? Here's the thing. That describes, I think, our dilemma right now. We swing between depression and anxiety, between withdrawal and frenetic activity. We simultaneously imagine there is nothing we can do and everything depends on us. And I think this morning Jesus offers us something different. Now, in my mind's eye, I found myself drawn back to that memory, right, of driving the truck. Ten-year-old me. One job. Put on the brake. Foot up. Put on the brake. Foot up. And here's the truth. It was a lot of pressure for ten-year-old me, right? And my job had an impact on what happened that day in the field. But when you compare it to what my father and the guys were doing, it was a little itty-bitty piece of the larger thing that was happening to bring life to those crops. And I wonder if this parable invites us to think in some ways that offer us that same kind of challenge and encouragement or assurance and hope. First, let's talk about the challenge of this passage. Maybe you already caught this because you're, you know, not as broken as I am, but there is no all or nothing to this passage. The farmer has work to do. And I'm so grateful, actually, for the video we watched about farming in Mozambique, because that actually looks quite a bit like probably what farming looked like in the ancient Near East at this time. They didn't have tractors, they didn't have irrigation. It was very hard work to prepare the soil. And there was a lot of seed to plant. There is no harvest if we don't get busy and plant seeds. There's soul work to be done. We need to study and reflect and pray giving God and the Spirit of God the opportunity to shape us into people who look more and love more like Jesus. There's church work to be done. We need to be caring for one another in this time. We need people who will love on kids and love on students in creative ways. We need investment in the ministry and help on the facility. By the way, shout out to all the people who worked outside last Saturday to clean up the uh, trees and the shrubs around the bridge. You want to talk about hard work. I am so grateful. And then there's missions work, right? Fighting for justice in our city, feeding the poor, sharing our faith with family and friends. And we cannot neglect that work. Instead, we labor, doing lots of small, ordinary things like speaking truth in love, forgiving our enemies, giving generously, risking obediently. We listen 
We speak. We vote. We read. We pray. We give. We do things, simple things, like spending $20 to help farmers in Mozambique. And in that, we plant in faith that the fruits of our labor will bring more of the kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. But we also hear in this passage a word of assurance. Because there is work we cannot do. Work that belongs only to God. So here's the thing. We can sleep. We can rest. We can be patient. We can be watchful and hopeful for the harvest that will come. My grandfather, for all of his hard work, was also a man of deep faith. And he was not anxious, which is kind of remarkable if you're a farmer and your whole livelihood depends on the forces of nature. He would walk those irrigation pipes daily, opening this row, closing that row, so that the water would get to the parts of the field where it was needed, except Sundays. Even in the middle of harvest, he would always rest on Sundays because he said, it trains my soul in faith. And that is what this farmer understands and what we need to keep remembering. There's a limit to what we can do and that God can be trusted. That God's love and power are accomplishing things we can't even imagine. There's a mysterious wildness to the kingdom of God, which invites us to humility and trust, relinquishment and rest. The Spirit takes our small, insignificant acts of word and deed and ripens them into beauty and love and justice, which is assuring to me because I can only bring my little bits. And that's the word of hope. Friday, Dennis and I took a trip down to Pella. We used to live in Pella, and we hadn't been down for a couple of years. And we decided while we were there to drive through the first neighborhood we lived in when we were in Pella. We hadn't been there for quite a while. It's on the outskirts of town. We built a house there. And I remember standing on that hillside. We were one of the first ones on that hill, and it was barren. I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a warm day, the day we stood there. And, uh, and I remember thinking, there are no trees here. And so as our house was built, the landscaper advised us, the, the ground is clay. It is brutally hard. Nothing grows in clay. Does anybody else have clay? It's awful. And so we had to bring in truckloads of, brown, of black dirt. And that is expensive and it's exhausting. But the landscaper told us, if you don't make that investment, nothing will grow. So we did that all summer and fall. And then we planted small, small trees because that's all we could afford, right? And we watered them and we worked hard to keep them alive and... Truthfully, uh, when we moved three years later, it looked like they'd grown that much. I mean, that's all. 
But fast forward 20 years later, we drove through that neighborhood, and I was astonished to see the trees. Did you know there's a tree in what is now our, what used to be our backyard, that has a swing in it? It's so awesome. And that vision we had that when we would plant this tree, it would shade the deck, and there would be ability when the hot west sun was there, we could enjoy it. And I could see that tree was doing what it had been purposed to do. And even though we didn't get the benefit of it, the house and the kids who were there did. See, planting is an act of hope. It's an act of faith. It recognizes you aren't going to see the results in a day or a year, but that in the beauty of the kingdom, God takes those small acts and brings life. And that's the hope I need today, especially today. See, we are not excused from action in this moment when there are so many difficult forces at play. We are called to till and sow seeds that may feel insignificant but are consistent with our faith. But then we have to release them. See, we bring our five loaves and two fish even though everything in us screams the crowd's too big. It's not going to be enough. And we have to hold our slingshot, even though our fear screams, Goliath is too big. We have to accept a staff from God instead of a sword, trusting that when he does what he will do with the staff, it will be more than enough. And so we act. And then we rest. And we allow those seeds to germinate. And we trust that the harvest will come. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I, I imagine that some of us today need to hear the word of challenge. We're overwhelmed, or we're comfortable, or we're afraid, and we need to be reminded today that there are seeds in our hands, things that we only can do, things that you have ordained for us and that the world will miss if we don't do them. And I pray, Holy Spirit, even right now, that you would be giving each of us pictures or words or ideas that would come in the next day or two of things that even as small as they seem, we're invited to sow. And then, Holy Spirit, I suspect there are some of us who need to be reminded that we are not God. That we are not, by our own energy and ability, in charge of making sure the world works. And that we are simply to be faithful to what we are able to do. And then we need to let go. And somehow maintain hope and rest. God, in this moment, even now, would you 
keep reminding us that you are far bigger than we could ever imagine. And that you, in your mercy and grace, invite us to the farm and give us meaningful work to do with our father and our grandfather. And all God's people said, amen. <laughs>